0: Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 4, and you can hold your finger there because we're going to come to it in a little bit. I think I've shared with you before my uh, earliest money-making scheme as a child. I grew up in the 70s. I consider the 70s my childhood. I graduated high school in the early 80s, but the 70s were my childhood. And when I grew up, for those of you that remember the 70s well, um, we didn't have plastic. We didn't have plastic bottles. We didn't have plastic stuff. Everything was glass. And so if you wanted a drink, if you wanted a Coke, if you wanted uh, a pop or Pepsi or Sprite or whatever you drank, Dr. Pepper, uh, you had to get a glass bottle. And in my house, we loved Coke and Dr. Pepper. And so we always had glass bottles around and we would buy these one liter bottles of Coke. Some of you may remember that. They didn't have two liters or three liters. We had one liter and they were glass bottles about this big. They had a real big mouth on them And you could buy them in six packs. They came in a little plastic uh, container and you would carry your little six pack of bottles home. And we thought when I was in second and third grade, those bottles were incredibly great to use as target practice. We would take them out after we got through drinking them. We'd stack them up and we'd go out back behind the house. We had a field and we'd get our 22s. And I know it's not politically correct kids having 22s, but we had 22s then and pellet guns and we would go and shoot these bottles. And one time my mother came around after hearing us break all these bottles and uh, wondering where the glass was going to go and asked us uh, why we were breaking all these bottles that were worth so much money. And we said, they're not worth anything. They're empty. Nobody can use them for anything. Don't you understand that you can take these bottles back to the store and they will give you money for them. Well, I mean, a light bulb went off in my head. I'd been breaking all these bottles and I could get money for them. And so we gathered up two six-packs. We took 12 bottles and we put them on our bike and we rode down to the local grocery store close to the house and took them in there where a little counter was they had where we brought back the bottles. And and from that, they gave us 15 cents a bottle, which was a $1.80. Now, I know that didn't seem like a big deal today, but in the early 70s and when you're a third grader, a $1.70 is a big deal because they had just put a new, asteroid and space invader machine in that store so that was seven games we could bring in bottles and go right in and play the games and so all that summer we went all throughout the neighborhood collecting bottles now I never got rich I got good at asteroids but I we collected bottles and I thought this is so cool and the reason I tell you that story is because one of the days as we were doing it and collecting bottles my dad was outside working in the car and I noticed that the outside of the bottle said redeem for reward And I asked my dad, I said, what what does that mean? What does that redeem for reward? And he said, well, redeem means to take something that seems to have no value or seems to be worthless and restore its value. Now, later on, as I went to seminary and and Baptist college and began to learn that redeemed was a Christian word as well, that is found all throughout the New Testament. Then in the New Testament, there are at least four different Greek words that we use to translate into redeemed. And they have all various meanings. The passage I read earlier to you from 1 Peter, that comes from an idea of someone that was enslaved. Really in those days, I've talked about it before, they had bond servants where you would earn your freedom. You were enslaved to someone as a child to help your parents make money and you would earn a living but also learn a trade. And it was meaning that to redeem something would be to go and pay off that person who was enslaved so that they could now be free. And that's what Peter was talking about in that passage we read earlier, that we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Paul in Ephesians 1 talks about being redeemed. And the picture there is someone who has been set free from a death sentence. It's a Greek word to describe someone who is threatened to be killed and is set free. There's also another term that, that is used to explain somebody who is given a reward they don't deserve. Somebody who, who doesn't earn or deserve something and is given a reward they are redeeming. We think about that when you talk about a coupon or a gift card. That coupon or gift card seems to be of no value until you do what? Until you redeem it. And that's what it's used in Corinthians where Paul's telling them they have been redeemed. They have been made worth something. But all those definitions didn't really match up to the one my dad gave me. And so, in these 30 years of ministry, whenever I talk about redeemed, I want to talk about that phrasing. That it's taking something that seems to have no value and re giving it value, restoring something. And you see, I say it seems to have no value because even though that bottle was empty, it always had value. It always was worth something. It just needed to be redeemed to find its value. And the more I learned about Jesus Christ, the more I learned that at the foundation of my Jesus story, that's me. That in my life, I was born a person that God created infinitely, incredibly in his image. But because of sin, my value was diminished. Now, my value to God was never diminished God never looked at me and said, he's not worth anything. He, he doesn't matter. He is not of any value. God always valued me. God just knew to be valued to this world and to myself, I needed to be redeemed. And so God came up with a plan to send his son to die on a cross so that you and I, those whose value has been diminished, those whose worth have been scorned can be what? Can be made valuable again. The Bible is full of stories of God's redemption. And most of us could recognize this morning that that's our story. That when we talk about being redeemed, we talk about being redeemed from death, redeemed from sin, redeemed from a life of uh, of no plans and no purpose, redeemed from guilt and punishment, redeemed from a life of a world trying to define who we are. The Bible says you have been set free from that. But we've also been redeemed for something. It's not just a matter of being set free. You've been redeemed for a purpose, for a reason. God, when he created you, had a purpose and reason behind creating you. And sin corrupted that. But through redemption, that purpose becomes clear. When you think about it, when you think about the Bible, and you think about the stories of the Bible, this book is about a God who is in the redemption business. If you had to describe God's purpose and God's relationship to us in one word, it would be redemption. Matter of fact, if you go back and look at our story of Nehemiah, we've been kind of parking there this summer. Nehemiah is really a book of redemption. You had the, the nation of Israel, which was God's nation, God's people. God had walked with them and protected them and guided them. But because of their sin and disobedience, they fell into Outside of God's relationship, they fell into disrepair and enemies began to come and and punish them. And the walls of Jerusalem, Jerusalem, God's city, where God came and worshipped with him and God dwelled with him. Jerusalem was eventually destroyed. But God didn't give up. The value of his city didn't give up. And so he planted a vision into the man, Nehemiah, who was in Persia at the time, to overcome great obstacles. To overcome incredible trials and against all odds to do what? To rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. To redeem that which had been destroyed for 170 years. Those walls were in rubble. Now I want you to think about that. Because that's where we come to our verse today. Because that's where we begin to camp out this idea that God redeemed this city for a purpose. Now, Nehemiah, when you read it, there's all kind of great lessons. There's all kind of things that we've drawn out of it. But I think at its heart, it's a picture of the church and it's a picture of you and I and how we experience redemption. It's a picture of God doing miracles to make something happen that no one thought could happen. And you read in the passage that I've given you in your order of worship in Nehemiah chapter 6, they talk about completing it in 52 days. And the people look at it, even those who were against it, and said what? Said, look at these walls. God must have been in it. It was God's hand. But now I want you to see something that, that most of the time we skip by. Something that I've read over and over again and never thought about, but in the last couple of months I couldn't get past it. And, and it comes in a put-down Of the children of Israel. It comes in something that that somebody else says about them. That I think is so important for somebody here this morning. Listen to Nehemiah chapter 4. This is when they are facing opposition. And you remember we talked about Sanballat. He was a Samarian prince. He was the governor of Samaria. He was against them building the walls. And listen to what he says. He's talking to some of his friends. It said when Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall. He became angry and was greatly incensed. And he ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said this. What are those feeble Jews going to do? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from the heaps of rubble, burned as they are? I want you to think about that. Here's a guy mocking them. Because for 170 years, when you went to Jerusalem, you had to go by and see broken bricks and rubble laying everywhere. And in 52 days, the children of Israel rebuilt the walls. Where do you think they got the bricks to rebuild the walls? Some of them were new, but most of them came from the rubble laying around the ground. That rubble that had... Come from Mount Zion. When they built the original walls, they went and they, they got rock from Mount Zion. They went to the Jordan River and got Jordan River rocks and brought them. And it, they, those rocks had seen David in his heyday. Those rocks had withstood the Babylonian Empire and the Assyrian Empire and the Philistines. You see, when God decided to rebuild the wall to use his hand to make something mighty so that the people of the world could look and say, God is in this, he chose broken and burned and chipped and crumbled bricks. And it's the same thing he does today. I wonder how many of us could relate to that. Broken. How many have ever been broken? How many have ever felt like rubble? Like your life is just a pile of bricks with no purpose or no meaning. How many of us have been chipped around the edges? And you see what happens when those things happen in our life is we begin to turn away from God and look to the world to see our value. And all we see are a pile of stones, a pile of rocks. But God had a plan. And that plan included all of those broken and burned rocks. And he turned them into something beautiful. I want you to think about this. If God cared so much about a wall around a city that he planted a vision in a man to go and see it rebuilt, how much more does he care about you? See, somebody this morning, you, you could testify your life feels broken. Your life feels chipped away. Your life feels like you have no purpose. But you need to understand God has a plan. And that plan included His Son, Jesus Christ. Let me remind you of a couple of things. First of all, the most important thing, God doesn't make junk. God doesn't make worthless things. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, that God created man in his own image and in the image of God, he created him male and female. And then verse 31 of chapter one, it said, when God saw what he had created, he said, this is good. Each one of you in this room have been imprinted with the spirit of God in his image. And when the world tells you you're not fast enough, when the world tells you you're not smart enough or you're not good enough or you're, you can't do this, you need to listen to the Word of God that says you are in the image of God. That you are not only created in His image, that you have been implanted with His very Spirit this morning. You've been created in His image. The Bible says in Ephesians that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that we are made for a purpose. And so this morning, if you think that your life is, is useless, if you think that your life is at a dead end, if you think that you can't see tomorrow, you can't see where you're headed, you need to understand that God didn't make mistakes. And God doesn't make mistakes. We were created in His image, but somewhere along the way, that image was corrupted through sin, just like the nation of Israel. Because of sin, you and I, while we weren't created junk, we became junk. Because of sin, our lives became worthless. Because of sin, we became corrupted. And I don't think we emphasize that enough to understand the power of sin in our lives. Because of sin, you and I have been separated from God. But the Bible said God had a plan from the foundations of the world. Just like he had a plan for the walls of Jerusalem, he had a plan for you. That he wanted to what? restore you in the way you were created you understand that redemption is all about mankind being made back to where we were in the garden the bible says you were created to be in fellowship with god think about adam and eve what did they do they walked in the garden with god the creator God created them to be to the praise of his glory, Ephesians 1 says, so that they could be in fellowship with him, so they could walk with him and sing and dance around and celebrate who he is. But sin corrupted all that. But God said, I have a plan to restore what was corrupted. And so he sent Jesus Christ to be the measure of redemption. Just like Nehemiah was a measure of redemption to the walls of Jerusalem, Jesus Christ was sent. On our behalf. You see, even though in the midst of my mess God never lost value in me. God never gave up on me. And the like we sang last week and talked about last week, the reckless love of God pursued me until I came to Him. That passage I read earlier in 1 Peter says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were deemed from this empty way of life, so that you were purchased, that you were restored. What restored you? The blood of Jesus Christ. I, the old Baptist pastor, Vance Havner, who's a North Carolinian, he, he described in one of his messages, he said, somebody in the church asked him, How much am I worth to God? And Vance Havner, in a way that only he could say, he said, Well, Jesus answered for God because he got on the cross and said, this is how much you're worth. This is how much God values you. You see, your worth is of such value that God was willing to send his only son to die on a cross for what? To redeem you. To take that which seemed like it had no worth but always was of worth to God. It just needed redeeming. It just needed to be turned in. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, In Him we have our redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. We have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Not just redeemed from, but redeemed for. And when I think about redemption, I just want to give you quickly three things. Very easy to take away and to remember. When somebody says, how do you define redemption? Instead of giving him all those definitions I gave earlier. Just three words. The first is forgiveness. It's probably the hardest thing for Christians to grasp. We sing about it. We talk about it. We listen to preachers talk about it. But every one of you in this room struggle with it. Why? Because we don't live out our forgiveness. We live in our forgiveness. What does that mean? That means all of us in this room can understand that the Bible says when Jesus Christ died on the cross... And we accept Him. We are forgiven for all sins. Sins we committed yesterday, sins we committed today, and sins we committed tomorrow. But yet so many Christ followers can't get past that they've been forgiven. See, some of you are still beating yourselves up over stuff you did years ago. So many Christians are are in bondage to a bad decision or a bad mistake or or something that they wish they would have done and they didn't do and they can't get past it. You need to understand that the Bible says God separates that sin as far as the east is from the west and he remembers it no more. I've listened to Christians pray before and they sit down and they start praying and they say, God, forgive me for this sin or forgive me for that sin. And they start naming things that they've done in the past. Do you understand that those things that you've already asked forgiveness for, God has forgotten about? You're saying, God, forgive me for that stupid decision I made 10 years ago that sent me on this path. And God says, I don't know what decision you're talking about. That has been moved as far as the east is from the west. Stop living in it and start living out of it. Start understanding that you've been forgiven. And because we've been forgiven, we can forgive others. And the reason it's so hard for us to understand this idea of forgiveness is because we don't understand something for nothing. See, it's hard for us to forgive little things, isn't it? Somebody says something, somebody hurts our feelings. We hold a grudge. We, hold, we don't forgive them. And so it's real hard for us to understand how Jesus Christ, the Son of God, actively forgave the worst of things while we can't forgive the least of things. When I think about redemption, I think about forgiveness because I've been forgiven. I don't have to live in my past. I don't have to let my past define my future. That's what redemption means. That moment when I lost my worth, when, when I had no value because I had no purpose, God redeemed it and that moment is not even in His memory anymore. I am set free. And that's the second word, freedom. Forgiveness and freedom. You see, when I was redeemed, it freed me from the law of sin. It freed me from worry of death. It freed me from guilt. It freed me from shame. It freed me from fear. But yet so many Christians are not living free. Paul says when he's talking about the flesh, you know, I said, we're, we're being redeemed and made into who we were in the garden and you are in your soul. One day, your whole body will be redeemed. One day, you'll get a new body and you'll be totally restored to the way it was in the garden. But until that day, our soul has been redeemed and restored. But we still fight this fleshly body. Paul says, I don't know why I do the things that I do. It's because he battled the flesh. We sing a song, my chains are gone, I've been set free. But for many Christians, it's as if God came and cut your chains so that you could walk away from guilt and sin and death and fear, and pain, and suffering, and a purposeless life. And what we do is we grab those chains that God caught off us, and we put it around our neck, and we wear it. And they slow us down, and they bind us. That's what Paul was saying in Philippians chapter 3 when he says, one thing I do, I forget about the past, and I press on. I run towards the future. I go with everything that I've got. I throw everything off. That's the freedom we have in redemption. That's the freedom we have in Christ. You see, you've been set free. Jesus said himself, who the Son sets free is free indeed. And so many Christians today are living in bondage. We're living in bondage to things that you've already been set free from. It's kind of like when you're a kid. I remember being a kid and having to go to my room and, and... worrying about stuff that was going on because I got in trouble and the door would be closed and and I would sit in there and stew and worry and stew and worry what was going to happen when I came out. And then I came out and my mom had already forgotten why she sent me in the room in the first place. Right. I've been in there worrying about stuff that wasn't even going to happen fretting over stuff that that wasn't even a possibility. And we do that as Christians all the time. We live in fear to our past and in fear to what could be instead of the freedom in Christ. You see, you've been set free from, but you've also been set free for. So many Christians, they live in that place of being set free from, but they never get to the place of being set free for. Because when I was an empty bottle, I couldn't bring refreshment to somebody else. we could take those empty bottles out and that empty bottle didn't have any life in it. But when the bottle is restored, there's nourishment. And when I've been restored, I now have a purpose again. I can serve God. I can serve others. I can love people. I can minister to people. Redemption means that now I have a purpose in my life. I'm not wandering anymore. Forgiveness, freedom. And the third thing is friendship. Redemption means now that I can have a friendship with God. Not just sing about Him or talk about Him, but I can have an intimate and personal walk where God is with me every day. He listens, He hears, and He talks. Before I was redeemed, I had no way to have a relationship with God. But after I accepted Jesus Christ and His payment, I've now been set free. Free to serve God. Free to love God. See, there is power in redemption, church. There is power in walking with God. Accepting that you've been set free. Accepting that you've been redeemed. We talk about it. We sing about it. But we don't live it. We don't walk it out. We still go around as if we're empty bottles. I love the song that we're going to sing to close the service. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy, His child and forever I am. Do we really believe that? I love the story that Sandballot said. What he's saying is, Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? I could hear God saying, yes, they can. And this morning, He can bring you back to life. If He could do it for a thousand-year-old stones, He could do it for you. This morning, He can redeem your marriage. This morning, He can redeem your relationships. This morning, He can redeem your personal life. He can redeem your career. If He could do it for burnt and broken stones, just think what He wants to do for broken stones and burnt and chipped believers. I remember the story of a gemologist, a geologist that was walking around and a couple of years ago. The story was in the paper. He was walking around a, a gem show that they had out west. And out west you go, and any of the stores you go to, uh, they have these gems, not like our little gem mines here where they bring in bags of dirt. Uh, they have actual gems there that you, they dig out of the ground all over in the west. And he was walking around, it was a gym fair, and they had these big barrels. If any of you have ever been to one of those stores, they have big barrels just full of rocks. And if you have little kids, that's just a nightmare waiting to happen because they want to pick up every rock that's in those bins and in those barrels, right? And he went by and he was looking at the bins and barrels, and all of a sudden he came across this purplish stone, kind of blue-violet. It was about the size of a potato, and he picked it up out of a bin, and he looked over at the owner. He said, how much for this stone? For this rock. And the owner looked at it and said well you know it's not as pretty as the other stones in there. He said I'll, I'll take $10 for it. So the man bought the $10 stone that everybody else had walked by. Later on he had it certified as a 1900 carat natural star sapphire. It's about 800 carats larger than the largest stone found at that time. It was priced at $3.25 million for $10 dollars. Everybody else walked by, just dirty rocks. But to a geologist, to a stone expert, he saw value. So I want you to hear me this morning, church. A holy and righteous God looks down this morning. Doesn't see broken rocks and chipped lives. He sees value. He sees worth. And he offers redemption. And for some of you this morning, that means giving your life to Jesus Christ. Some of you that have been purposeless, you've been religious, you've been in church all your life. This morning, God wants to restore you, really restore you. He wants to redeem you. But for most of us in this room, we've already been redeemed. We see it. We declare it. We just don't live it. What's going to change a world? The story of taking something that has no value... And giving it value. That's what people are looking for. That's how we're called to live. What I'm worth. What I value. Is not based on what I do. Or who I am. Or how my bank account is. It's based on whose I am. And the one who sees value. In those simple rocks. Sees value in you this morning. Let's pray.